Welcome to our first 2024 off-season edition of Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, we take a look at Buffalo's receiving core. What needs to improve, and how can the Bills get back to a high-flying passing attack? Steve is quizzed on the best passing games in the league in 2023, and we have our one burning question. Don't worry, we're ready to roll! Pleased to have you with us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Favor, Steve Tasker, Bills Insider, Chris Brown with you. And it was an unceremonious end to Buffalo's postseason run at the hands of the Chiefs in the divisional round. Bills GM Brandon Bean often says that's where you realize when you come up short in the playoffs, it's often a roadmap for your offseason when it comes to improving your roster. And it was hard not to notice a lack of playmaking ability in the passing game outside of Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid. Would you agree, one Steve Tasker? Yeah, I, I obviously we've talked in, uh, a lot about it on the Daily Show about, you know, you got three drop long ones in that game that would have changed the complexion of the entire game and certainly could have changed the outcome of that game in a big way for the Buffalo Bills. Um, do you generalize because you had a couple of drop passes? Uh, do you make that? You know the identity of what your teams where they came up short. Uh, I don't know if they, I don't know want to overgo over go overboard and say yeah they couldn't get back they got to do everything. I don't know if they need to you know completely revamp their philosophy or their anything. But with the face of the roster now that the season is over, the draft coming up. This strikes me as exactly the – it's almost the exact spot we were in last year at this time where we had gotten the, – the Bills had gotten beat by the Cincinnati Bengals by like 17 points in a game where you and I both know they, they were dead for a – I don't want to say that dead. They were, they were done for a month before that final game. Yeah. They, were ne- they were never going anyplace in, in 2022. But at the end of that season, after the Cincinnati Bengals, we saw what the Bengals did and how they played – and how the Chiefs played against the Bengals in the AFC Championship, we said for weeks after that, this team, the Bills, are in an arms race. Yeah, you got to keep up with Cincinnati. Those they got those three guys out there. They got Joe Burrow. You got to keep up with them. And it's true when Joe Burrow's healthy, that's the team. Same thing now with Kansas City. Even with the departure of Tyree Kill, and then after he departed, they went to and won the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, you got to score to keep up with them. The Bill, it, this last game was proof positive of that. Now, certainly the Bills' defense was crippled because of injuries, and they weren't the same bunch, and they might have gotten a couple of stops, but that's a team you got to score with in, in Kansas City. The Bengals are a team you got to score with. The Ravens are a team you got to score with. That's where the Bills are. Now, they can hang in there with any of these teams. Nobody runs off and leaves the Bills. They're, they're a tough team to beat still. But you got to get guys that can make plays down the field, and when you get a chance in the playoffs in the division round, you got to catch the ball. So I still think the Bills, with Gabe Davis's contract and situation is, with Trent Shurfield and the contract situation he is, now we've got Khalil and Kincaid and Cook on this offense and Diggs as well, yes, you need some weapons on the outside. You need more guys that can make plays on the outside of this offense. Yeah. I mean, look, you can talk about scoring all you want, and I'll be the first to tell you that the defensive line did not get the job done against the Chiefs in the divisional playoff round. 
The Bills were counting on that defensive front to cover up for the deficiencies in the back seven, and they flat out didn't do it. Did not show up, did not make an impact in that football game, and it cost them. Couldn't stop the run, couldn't get to Patrick Mahomes. Problem. So that probably needs some addressing as well, especially knowing all the free agents there will be at the defensive tackle position and a couple at defensive end as well. So there will be some defensive line needs to add, but the bottom line is this. Josh Allen plays his rear end off in the playoffs, doesn't turn the ball over in the playoffs, despite what some might think, and still uh, needs more help. He needs help. I, I don't know how else to phrase it. The guy runs in the two touchdowns. He ran in the touchdown last year, the only one scored against the Bengals. So get him some more help. This is not unlike what we saw in 2019 in the playoffs. You had Josh Allen targeting Duke Williams 10 times in a playoff game, and they finally pulled the trigger and made a big trade for Stephon Diggs. Where does the team go the next year? They're 13-4. and four. They go to the AFC title game. You're in that cycle all over again. You've got to add on the offensive side of the ball, and you have to double down. No. I'm not saying one receiver in the first three <laughs> rounds. I'm saying two because you have an age 31 Stephon Diggs who probably can serve as a number one receiver for a short period of time more. Maybe only half a season, because each of the last two seasons, his production has fallen off a cliff in the second half of the year. So you want him to serve as your number one from basically September to the Halloween next season? Fine. But you better have somebody in the pipeline ready to take over in that role as a rookie. Similar to the way we saw Kincaid get quickly incorporated into the offense. Kincaid and Shakir and Cook all have emerged. And so this, and think about this now that it's not like, wow, they're, they're not far away. Kincaid, Shakir, Cook are three guys that can, and Diggs as well uh, when he's on. They're all, you really need one more outside guy because think about it. The offensive line is intact. Those guys played extremely well. You, you can bet Osiris Torrance is going to get better in another year. Uh, Spencer Brown put together his best year as a pro. I had a quick conversation with him, and he felt like this year was mentally and his process-wise and where he was from the start of the season to the end of the season was light years ahead of where it had been, and it showed on the field. Um, all those Deion guys Dawkins, under contract. Yes, Deion Dawkins played extremely well. Connor McGovern was everything they thought he would be. So their offensive line is steady and ready to go again to run it back. And so, and with the skilled guys they have coming back, man, you're talking seriously one serious player. Now, obviously, injuries and all that can can derail a season, but man, oh man, you're talking a room where this offense is ready to not just keep on, but shift gears if you get the right guy on the other side of Stephon Diggs. To illustrate the problem that the passing game has, yes, the Bills had four drops in the divisional playoff loss to Kansas City, including the three deep balls that Steve already referenced that could have gone for explosive plays, of which the Bills essentially had none. Eight of Kansas City's longest plays in that game ranged from 22 to 32 yards. All of them were longer than Buffalo's longest play of 18 yards, which was a Josh Allen scramble. The irony of this is that it was the Chiefs who led the league in drop passes this season with 44. Buffalo ranked 8th with 30. 
Despite a change in coordinator, the Bills' passing attack still ranked eighth in the league, but there were frequent disconnects in the passing attack with Allen and Diggs, disappearing acts by Gabe Davis, who had seven games this season with one or no receptions. Were it not for the emergence of Shakir and Kincaid, Buffalo's passing game likely would have tumbled into the second half of the season down to the bottom third in the league. So the question now is, they have to fix it, right? But how do they fix it? Draft, free agency, outside targets here. You need them. You need explosive yeah. plays. Now, certainly, and it's and a little bit of it is on the coaching staff, no question about it. You want you want them to you know deploy these guys that are already here in new and better ways and and get more for less. They, they know more, way more about Khalil Shakir than they did at the beginning of the season. He he's proven to be a quality player. Um, not maybe a deep threat, but certainly a run-after-catch threat and certainly a dependable th- third-down threat. This team continues to s- play extremely well and efficiently on third down. Uh, Josh Allen gives them a chance in every situation. And I'm not saying to fix it. I, uh, fix it is even a strong word. I, I think you just need to have one other guy that changes the face of the edges of the formation and the deep, the thoughts about the deep pass when you're defending the Bills. I don't think teams are worried about the deep ball, even though they've got Josh Allen. They are not worried about players one-on-one winning uh, on the deep ball. That's that's what they need. Uh, certainly, they've got a running attack that, that emerged in the second half of the season. Certainly... Steph Diggs is still a threat. Even if defenses are focusing on him and taking him away, it still gives you something offensively because it it opens up. You know they're spread too thin at the other places on their defense in the secondary. You got to have somebody to take advantage of that. You need to give a team two real problems on the outside of this offense. Diggs is one, can be one, but you've got to have another guy on the other side. Yeah. And I think you have to go in the draft here. You have a cap situation that's going to be difficult to manage. You cannot afford to be paying high-priced receiver talent on the open market. It's just not going to fit with the things that have to get accomplished here in terms of retooling the roster. You have to find cheap labor in the draft. And fortunately for the Bills, there there are a bounty of receiver options that will exist in this draft. Last year, you only saw four receivers come off the board in round one. And it didn't start until the early 20s, right in front of where Buffalo picked. This year, there are going to be more than four receivers taken in round one. There are some saying could be upwards of seven or eight. That's how talented this draft class is at the receiver position. So you have to get one early and then get another one before day two. And also this, we saw what Khalil Shakir did this year as the season progressed. And he certainly worked his way into it. It may be a point now for the first time where Sean McDermott and and his coaching staff are playing younger players be co- like they did in 2017-18 because they have to. There has to because be they're the best that. option. There has to uh, be. This is not going to be a wide receiver like last year, and they did have some uh, free agent money last year. But last year, there were only three guys left from the receiving room the year before. It was Diggs, Davis, and Shakir. They had to fill the entire room up with new people. Uh, Sherfield, Isabella, and 
uh, Hardy or all the new guys. There's, that's going to be like that this year as well. You're going to have to play those guys, and I think you may have to end up playing some guys that are young and maybe depend on some younger guys than you would normally like to do as a coaching staff. We heard last offseason head coach Sean McDermott say they were going to put a premium on players who could catch the ball. They drafted Dalton Kincaid, the most sure-handed tight end in the class. So going forward, knowing there are changes coming to this roster, I'm going to provide you with some catch rate stats here on Bills by the Numbers. Khalil Shakir, catch rate, 86.7%. Sixth highest in the entire league. One drop the whole season. James Cook catch rate, some might be surprised, but it was 81.5%. Yes, he had five drops, but that catch rate was 16th best in the NFL this past season. Dalton Kincaid catch rate, 80.2%. 24th in the NFL, two drops the whole season. Stephon Diggs catch rate, 66.9%, 111th in the NFL, eight drops. Higher volume of targets is going to lead to a higher number of drops, and he clearly had by far the most on the Bills roster. Dawson Knox catch rate, 61.1%, 147th in the NFL, four drops on 36 targets. Gabe Davis catch rate, 55.6%, 177th in the NFL, He's credited with three drops. Now, in his defense, most of his targets are low percentage throws deep down the field, but 55.6% catch rate for your number two receiver is not a sustainable figure that's going to help keep your offense on the field. Your three most consistent passing targets are all in the rookie or second-year category. How troubling is it to know your veteran players are all behind in catch rate by at least 15 percent they're not right behind him they are distant behind him well it doesn't really bother me that much Gabe Davis he is who he is and you're right Um, he only had three drops but he only caught just over half of his targets which and it's not all him some of that's the the quarterback uncatchable uh, or he never touches it Uh, he never gets it never gets close enough to be a drop Um, it's like you said they're low percentage targets Um, Diggs a little bit of a problem. I think there's no question he started out as an elite receiver through the first six or seven games of this season. He was playing at an ultra high level, and then it dropped off. And certainly, there's could be. I don't know. I don't know that it's just Stephon Diggs as a is a reason for his drop in production. Don't yeah. Don't forget yet. <laughs> you changed coordinators, and your offense was floundering at the time when you made the coordinator change when he was being leaned on. So. You might expect, particularly we saw it, we talked about it, about how the offense started to diversify and spread it around a little more. His production would automatically drop. But it also, within that, and the troubling thing is that even though his targets went from like maybe, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, from like 12 targets per game to like eight or nine targets per game. He could probably drop like four or five targets a game, maybe less. It's about five. But his percentage dropped as well. Um, his catch rate dropped, in my opinion. So that's the troubling thing. It's in there. I still think Steph Diggs has a lot of good football in him. Oh, yeah. And it's not troubling to me the catch rates that these guys have because I think the catch rates for the guys that they're going to be throwing to, Khalil, Kincaid, and Cook, are doing just fine. And Diggs will be fine in the targets you get him. I have, I have full trust in him because he's – because catching the ball in the NFL is a more of a mental exercise than it is a physical one. And so I think Diggs is going to be okay 
going forward. So, no, I'm not – Davis, we don't even know if he will be on the team. I suspect he will not. I don't think so. Hardy, maybe, but he doesn't get that many targets that that's an issue. He's a cap city. Isabella, these guys, Hardy and Isabella are, are returners who can spot duty. They're fine. So I'm not really worried about where the catch rate is for the guys that are actually for sure going to be in this offense next year. Knox, maybe, but I think Kincaid will continue to emerge as being the guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see. But no, I am not worried about the catch rates because the guys who are catching at a high rate are the ones that are going to be on the field. And I, can't, I don't. And the other thing too is you can't treat the metric of catch rate in a vacuum. I think you really have to pour over the film, and the Bills coaching staff will do this obviously right. to assess how accurate that metric is in terms of assessing how sure-handed a receiver is. Right. And they will comb through that naturally because that's what they should do. Um, and they'll have a more accurate determination on whether these metrics apply or whether they're a little misleading. But I think going forward, if you're going to look for receiver talent to add to this roster, it's clear to me there are two things that Brandon Bean is after based on his season-ending press conference. One is speed. He wants speed on the outside, which is something they, that really never materialized for this football team. Gabe Davis is not a burner. Stefan Diggs is not a burner. Deontay Hardy is a burner, but they could not find a way to properly incorporate him into the offense. And at five foot six, it's very hard to be an effective outside receiver. They're just the windows are smaller. You can't drop a ball in a bucket to a five six receiver when he's going against a six one corner. It just doesn't work. Um, so I think they have to find speed, size, separation ability and obviously somebody who can catch the ball as well. That might sound like a lot, but those alpha dogs are up at the top of the draft, which is why you have to invest there in terms of improving this receiving core. Now for another metric, which is known to be important for helping your quarterback stay completion-driven in the passing game and keep the offense on schedule. QB rating per target. For those that don't know, this is your quarterback's passer rating when targeting this player in your team's passing game. First in the league, Khalil Shakir. Josh Allen had a passer rating of 133.6 when targeting Shakir. Dalton Kincaid, QB passer rating when targeted, 95.7. Stefan Diggs, when targeted, 94.9. Gabe Davis, 84.7. Dawson Knox, 71.8. Deontay Hardy, 67.6. Trent Sherfield, 56.3. How much better do the numbers need to be for Buffalo's top two receiving targets going forward, knowing a perfect rating is 158.3? So, Steve, Diggs 94.9, Davis 84.7. They're getting the oh, bulk yeah. of the targets. Yeah, they yeah they need to get a yeah. – It's got to be higher. Yes, it's got to be higher. It's got to be higher. Um, certainly, and I'll say this. I, I can see Khalil Shakir being a force – for this offense. Oh my God, he's only going to get better. I, the, I remember if you go and I spent some time. I, I had a lot of good buddies when we were playing, and I heard conversations between top-flight quarterbacks like Jim with Frank Reich, Stan Gelbaugh with all the other quarters, Mike Alex Van Pelt, 
uh, all the quarterbacks that I played with mm-hmm. uh, for the Buffalo Bills, plus guys that I talk about and, and played with in the Pro Bowl, other Hall of Fame guys like Warren Moon and John Elway and Dan Marino and those guys like that. You get these quarterbacks together and hear them talk. They get a guy that has gives them 133.6 passer rating. That guy's getting the ball. Yep. They will and we throw saw him, that at the end of the they year. They will put that ball into him where it has no business being thrown to that guy because he doesn't drop it. Yeah, I mean that's how it works. Think about the last game. I mean, the slant that Shakir ran in the red zone. I mean, he's he had got no business, no business catching, catching that, that ball, that ball no and he caught it anyway. There's no place to put that ball. And then what happens? Josh rolls out to his left, <laughs> throws it to the front left corner throws of the, the end zone, and Shakir gets there that. and makes another catch. It's, that's how it works. So when you get a guy like Kincaid, you get a guy like uh, Shakir, and you get a guy like Diggs who gives him a 95. A 95 rating is not bad either. No. But, you know, it'll get better. I'm telling you, that, that's who gets the ball. Quarterbacks have these conversations. You can bet Kyle Allen and Josh Allen are sitting in that quarterback room when they're in there. Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm, throwing, team, I'm throwing it to Khalil. Yeah. That's just the way it works for those guys. That's the way they think. It's the human side of being a quarterback in the NFL. It's the human side of the game when you get quarterbacks who just trust a guy because he comes through for them. And I, so that's, that's how these things happen. That's how Kincaid earned Josh's trust. That's how Diggs did it. That's how Shakir did it. You catch the ball when they throw it to you, you get more balls thrown to you. Right. And so the best get better, and they get to be elite, and guys earn it by doing it time after time after time. The only tricky part in trying to improve your receiving core through the draft is it's a projection. We know there are no guarantees in the draft. There never are. But that projection and the chances of success seem to be improved if you invest early in the draft, more often than not. They don't all hit as we know, but you have a greater chance of hitting if you make that investment higher in the draft. And I would assume passer rating, catch rate, and all those things would be better for players taken higher. The best players on the team in terms of target separation, which is the average yards of separation at the moment the pass arrives, were as follows. Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir, Deontay Hardy, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Trent Sherfield, in that order. Now, you can probably factor in the fact that better cover players are covering receivers and not tight ends, which is why you see Knox and Kincaid with the best target separation rate when the ball arrives. But knowing what McDermott said last offseason about improving the passing game, catch rate, and now hearing what this list of receiving targets did this past season, what do you think should be added to the receiving core, Steve, in terms of skill set? I think you need... and I, it's, it's it's obvious. And you need a big dude, I think, uh, on the outside, a big, fast guy who can run routes. I think the bigger and stronger and faster he is, obviously, all that goes. But I think yeah. you need a route runner. You need a guy that is that can stop short, explode out of the brakes, uh, leave a defensive back, and just drop him off, and then run away from him. Um, that's the kind of guy you need. And I don't. And it doesn't have to be a bigger, taller, stronger dude. Um, but you need a guy with incredible speed who can stop and start and go. Uh, that's what the best guys do. Um, separation is is king after catching the ball. 
So uh, that's who you need. Um, certainly speed is on the other side of digs and something that every t- offense is looking to add more of. And generally speaking, when you get a really fast guy, they struggle to slow down and stop hard and explode out of the break because the speed, the momentum makes it harder for them to stop it, for obvious reasons. So great receivers that are real separators are like Steph Diggs. They're like four or five guys. Yeah. The four, three, or four, two guys tend to take like five steps to stop instead of three. And that just gives the defensive back that much more warning right. before you can get him. So you need a, you need a, but that's, you know, it's, it's that balance. But you know? that is why I am a proponent of taking two. Because it's hard to find all of that yeah. in one player, even in a draft class like this, that has a bounty of top-end talent. It has depth as well. But that's why I say get your route runner with a high catch rate who's an alpha dog in round one, and then get your burner in round two or three. I mean, this is a team that's drafted defensive linemen back-to-back, offensive linemen back-to-back. What's to say you don't do it at receiver? I mean, if you got to do it in round one and two, go ahead. Go ahead. Get your get your alpha dog in round one and get your speed demon in round two or three. If you want to take a defensive tackle in between, I totally get it, and I understand it. But you got to double down this year and get two receivers who can contribute early. And if you want to get a guy that burns up the field and stretches it to help everybody else, go for that a little bit later. Get your alpha dog in round one that has a high catch rate, can separate and win for you on routes. Um, that's kind of how I see it. So we move along and remind you, Bills fans, to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Just download the app today to play any way you want. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. Best of all, you get paid your winnings fast. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the Buffalo Bills. We transition to the numbers game where Steve will be asked questions on the 2023 NFL Team passing efficiency. Okay, here we go. General, you know, statistics that we're used to here, okay? Here we go. So I'm going to try to make this easy for you. So (laughs) question number one, name one of the three NFL clubs with the highest completion percentage this season. Give me one of the three. I will say uh, San Francisco. San Francisco is a ding, Steve. Do you want to try for another? Sure. I'll give it a shot. It was San Francisco. How about? They were third, by the way. Yeah. How about Detroit? Not Detroit. I'll give you one more kick at it. Baltimore? Not Baltimore. The top two teams. It was um, was Miami on one of them. Miami was second. Yeah. 69.7, 69.4%. Dallas was first, 69.7. San Francisco, 68.3. For those yeah. that were wondering, the Bills were eighth in completion percentage this season. Question two. Name one of the top three NFL clubs in passer rating. Oh, all right. Dallas. Dallas would be number two. That is correct. San Francisco. San Francisco led the league at 110.2. Passer rating. I'll go. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say, how about LA? Not LA. It's Baltimore that finished third, 102.5. Bills were 13th 
in this category at 92-2. All right. Question number three. Name one of the top three NFL clubs in yards per attempt. I'll probably say, I've forgotten about it. I'll say Dallas again. Dallas is not on this list, surprisingly. Okay. Yards the top per three. Attempt. Yards per attempt. Miami. Miami, yes. 8.3. Number two in the league. I'll say... San Fran. San Fran, number one again. 9.3. So they have been an answer in all three of those categories. Yeah. Top three. Completion percentage, passer rating, yards per attempt. Third one. I'll say Miami. You already said Miami, oh. and they're number two. So oh, you're Miami. correct already. Oh, yeah, sweet. I got it right again. Baltimore was third, um, 7.9 okay. yards per attempt. Right. Bills were tied for seventh in yards per attempt this season. Question number four, name one of the top three NFL clubs in catch rate. <laughs> L.A. Chargers. I mean, L.A. Rams. No. Um, neither L.A. is correct. Neither answer. L.A. is correct. Detroit. Detroit was number three. Well done, Steve. All right. 71.1% catch rate as a team. Miami. Miami, number one. 71.6%. Which is pretty pretty darn... You are doing very well. Which is pretty darn impressive that Miami is number one, considering all the deep balls that are thrown in that offense. They led the league in catch rate this year, which speaks highly of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I like him anymore. Number two team was San Fran. So, Steve, yeah. San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. In the top three this season in completion percentage, passer rating, yards per attempt, and catch rate. For those wondering, Bills were tied for fifth in catch rate, 70.6. So, overall, pretty good in catch rate. So, the Bills had a better catch rate than... 27 or 26 of the other teams in the league. Including wow. Kansas City, who That's led the amazing. league in drops, yeah. as we know. Yeah. Good job, though, in the I'll numbers that, game there, yeah. Steve. That was yeah. a good performance by you. I, surprisingly, right? Well, uh, no. I no, mean, I, believe me, I was I was not thinking I was going to be able to hang in there. I was trying to have you only name one of the top three, and in most of those, you got two of the top yeah. three. So that yeah. was very good by very you. Nice. Time now for our one burning question. The Bills, as we know, will be picking late in round one, having made the divisional playoff round this season. They will pick 28th and pick in a similar spot in round two and at the end of round three with an anticipated third-round compensatory pick for the loss of Tremaine Edmonds in free agency last year. We know that things will largely depend on prospect availability in the way that the board falls, but in your ideal world, Steve, what positions are addressed by the Bills with their first three picks this april all right here's the well i know what brownie's gonna say we've been talking about this and brownie's <laughs> like brownie's like a hammer <laughs> on a nail so i'm gonna say something different than brownie would but i will say this i think i do think they need to go wide receiver very high in this one first or second and depending on how it falls they need a guy that will absolutely have the skill set and the ability and the wherewithal the personality the intelligence to get on the field in the nfl his first season as a draft pick you need a guy like that. Somebody's got to get on the field for the Buffalo Bills a wide receiver out of the first round. I would anticipate Brandon Bean trading up. Yeah. All right. So in the first, the other two, I think you need a, you need a big body up front in the defense, and you need a, a, a fresh face, big bodied defensive tackle. Yeah. Or maybe, and then on the the third one, if it's not a big bodied defensive tackle, it will be a, an edge rusher. 
one of those two guys, and, and vice versa. Because you're not uh, expecting Leonard Floyd back, right? And AJ Epinesa might now be you too could expensive. go you could go wide receiver again, and go wide out de- defensive lineman wide out, or you could go wide out defensive tackle defensive end, whatever. Um, but th- that's what I think. That's what I think. I think yeah. after you get in the first, I'm not round, that different. When you get a, you got you got to get an, an alpha dog wide receiver. Yeah, somebody who can sit at with Steph Diggs and have Steph Diggs be impressed. Give him, give him some what for? Say, listen, you got to be a dog. At, you know, teach him how to be a dog. Well, or, I want a dog already. Right. Who sits in the room with Steph Diggs and says, "Yeah, I'm taking your spot. That's the guy I want." Right. And that's, give me that guy. Yeah. Uh, Steph, you. You know, you're a really good receiver, but I'm better than you. Yeah, you need to have him him compete against each other. Yes, that's what you need. Uh, So for me, it's not that different from what you said. It's receiver, defensive tackle, receiver. End of story. Address everything else later. And look, I know you want pass rushers. You have to bank on Von Miller getting back to form next year. If you can get A.J. Epinesa back, that's great. Otherwise, you got to put all your eggs in Greg Rousseau and Kingsley Jonathan's basket, and Kingsley Jonathan has to play more because I believe he can play for you. I think he's a six- to eight-sack guy next season if he gets the proper amount of playing time, and you have to trust your gut because you, you, you worked really hard to get him back on this roster after you lost him off your practice squad to Chicago. You have a plan for him. It's time to put that plan into action and get that guy playing more yeah, snaps. He, again, that's, we're talking. this is the youth movement again. Yeah, and I said Kingsley Jonathan – has not played much football, and now that you've given him a year, and he's got this is a year like it, his year. He's got to play. It might be his year four or whatever. I don't know what his career looks like, but this is like year three for him from as a pro, which is kind of one of those years where you say, okay, here we go. He's going to be in it's the regular. I agree. I think Kingsley Jonathan should be in the regular rotation. Our closing figure deals with explosive plays, which for this metric is plays of 20 yards or more. We know that most defenses Buffalo faced play to cover two shell to keep everything in front of them, and the Bills were forced to play the short-to-intermediate passing game for much of the season. At season's end, Buffalo wound up ranking 21st in the league in plays of 20 yards or more. The league leader, San Francisco, had 86. Buffalo had just 58, which further emphasizes a need for a field stretcher at Mm -hmm. the receiver position. That's all for us in this episode. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when our next episode is available for you because when you need to know about the bills you need to check bills by the numbers steve tasker i'm chris brown thanks for listening we'll catch you next time everybody